we're going to be talking to Pam Montgomery um, of Chucker Cherries, and uh, she'll tell us about what kind of a bird Chucker is in a little bit. But I wanted, first of all, to congratulate you on your anniversary. You've been in business for how many years now? 35 years. It's a long time. <laughs> it is a long and, and time. It's, and it's quite a triumph, uh, considering that when you want to start up your company, um, everyone told you that you couldn't uh, dry cherries without added sugar. It was not without possible. Added, correct. Without sugar and even sulfites. At uh-huh. the time, preservatives were normally added to dried fruit, but they would pick the fruit when it was still what we would call green, not mm-hmm. fully tree ripened. Mm-hmm. And many of us grew up uh, in homes where either ourselves or our grandparents had fruit trees in the backyard. So we knew what tree-ripened fruit tasted like. But as urbanization took hold and there were a lot of fruit tree, fruits were then bought in grocery stores in order to transport them, well, they would pick them when they weren't fully ripe. So there's a... That's when they started adding sulfites. Yeah, I was going to say, fruit. I remember. I remember all that dried fruit tasting like sulfur. Yes, yes. yes. And um, even though now chucker cherries is mainstream in terms of its processing, not adding sugar, not adding preservatives, Back then, it was unusual, and I went to, I called UC Davis in California because they were known for having developed the raisin industry and the prune industry, Right. and they said cherries did not have enough sugar to dry without adding sugar or and preservatives so i what happened was when i was a young woman i was just 30 my husband and i uh moved from seattle to this large cherry orchard in a rural town called prosser three hours southeast of seattle and we bought this large cherry orchard eight thousand trees and we wow. knew nothing about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you had and, a lot of guts, however. <laughs> and I would walk around the orchard. I had twins and a two-and-a-half-year-old, two newborn twins and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, no. <laughs> and I put one on my back, and I put the twins in the – I had a twin stroller from Scotland. And um, – which was unusual back then. And I walked the two miles around the orchard every morning 
And after harvest with 8,000 cherry trees, there were always trees that were left over, that were unpicked or partially unpicked. Mm-hmm. And week by week, I, I would eat the cherries, and they only tasted better. So uh-huh. that's where I got the idea. I'll be darned. Yes, all be those darned. years ago. And so I then, after drying them for a few years, I, I would put them in Ziploc bags on my refrigerator on top and let them just sit and year after year, they only tasted better. Wow. Yeah. So I thought, well, I wonder <laughs> how they would taste in really good chocolate. <laughs> so I sent them to um, a California chocolate manufacturer, and they loved them. But they sent them back to me with cheap chocolate and artificial flavor. Oh, no. Yeah. So then I just happened um, to be, we went to London on a family trip to, um, oh, I can't remember the play, but it was, about the steam train, and it was a musical, and Starlight Express. Oh, okay. We took the girls to Starlight Express and to Hamlet. There you go. And they fell asleep during Hamlet. (laughs) Starlight Express kept them awake, and at the time, Herod's was an English jewel, Herod's yes, Department yes. Store. Yeah, we know Herod's it, well. It was before it was bought by Middle Eastern uh, financiers and changed. Hmm. Yes. And there happened to be a, they had a one room next to their con- large confectionery hall which had rotating exhibits. And they happened to be featuring chocolate and fruits of Europe, preserved and chocolate-covered. And I tasted really good plain dried cherries coated in European-style chocolate. And I was hooked. Oh, so, yeah. So then I went back to the States. And because we were in a little rural town, it wasn't easy to get to a library that was fully. Um, and this was before Internet, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh. So what I would do is I would call AT&T information in different major cities. And back then you could get a a human being (laughs) 
and they would give you not only the like I would ask for chocolate manufacturers and I would call Dallas and San Francisco and Chicago and they would give you not just that that city but the surrounding area and I found uh, guitar chocolate uh, in oh, sure, Burlingame sure. outside of San Francisco yep. who had very had a breadth of chocolate quality. Yeah, we know but, that, we know uh, those guys very well. Yeah, fifth generation or sixth generation now. Did, 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 and they did had you ever, Did you uh, ever by the way cross paths with friend Bigelow in Seattle? Oh, yes. Yes, I yes, know friend. We've interviewed Fran a lot, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, of course a big fan. Yes. But who isn't? Yeah, I, I wanted to. I wanted to tell you. I wanted to tell you something. I think you will find mildly entertaining. But Anne, Anne and Peter actually got thrown out of the food court at Harrods. Really? For, take, for taking pictures. Yeah. Oh. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> they they like their privacy. <laughs> something like that. So anyhow, so you have now a chocolate maker. So I found, uh, I, I flew down and met with them, and they happened to be automating to full automation and were had all their old Craftsman copper kettles in an equipment graveyard, which they sold to me. I'll be darned. And so... That's how it started, and for the longest time, I just treaded water with the company. I didn't try to grow it because I was a mother and had a lot of personal things going on. But about 15 years ago, I um, remarried. I was divorced in between. And married um, a wonderful man, and my children were grown or on the way close to being grown, leaving the nest. And, um, And you know this because you have your own business, but when, when you have a lot of curiosity and creativity uh it's very enjoyable so um i've had a really wonderful time of it actually Uh and a lot of it because we do our own manufacturing uh and we so we dehydrate our own cherries we do our own chocolate coating using premium pastry chocolate. Uh-huh. We use just natural flavors, nothing artificial ever. And we also make a line. Oh, and then, of course, we package them and ship them. Wow. And primarily, um, we dehydrate local cherry varietals, Bing's, 
which you know, the dark sweet Yes, veins. right, exactly, love them. Yeah, the yellow uh, golden Rainier cherry, which interestingly was developed, first propagated at the Washington State Agricultural Experiment Station in Prosser in the late 50s. And so it's truly a Washington cherry. And then the sour tart Montmorency varietals, which are really like a bush cherry, mm-hmm. that was really written about from the, it's even in early handwritten uh, manuscripts from monks in Europe. Because they're baking cherries. Yes. Yeah, they're more, instead of having a lot of texture and being able to ship, they are kind of like a polywog egg. They've got a skin, a bright red skin, and they're filled with this delicious sour cherry gel. And the trees, instead of being hand-picked, are shaken and fall into nets, and they're immediately put into a hydro cooler, which is swirling icy water that kind of freezes them so that they can be put in a refrigerated truck and transported. Whereas Rainier's have to be are picked by color, Japanese style. They bruise very easily, and they're the only cherry that's put picked off the tree and put directly into a shipper and transported, a shipping box. Well, you had to learn a lot of different techniques and, and so forth. Um, you're really adventurous, aren't you? <laughs> well, and I have wonderful people. But, you know, we started out as growers. Um, we... I, my business, I first gleaned our leftover fruit, and then I bought from small family growers in the state. So I continue to do that, and I have wonderful team of people. Many have been with us for 10, 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah, and we offer very good jobs and 401k and you know that's important mm-hmm. um and it's it's been a and we make really good products yeah i mean we've been sampling your products that that you send us and they really are good i mean the the freshness of them is just amazing to me you know so much of this the stuff you buy gets to tasting stale especially the fruit stuff, you know. But, right. but yours is so fresh, and your chocolate is so fresh. You, you do a wonderful job. Uh, how well, many different products you. do you have? Well, we have about 18 chocolate-covered cherries, berries, and nuts. So, um, and we then we have uh, four no-sugar-added, dried cherry and nut 
ener- we call them energy mixes. Is and that like no the pistachio sugar. cherry that I love so much? Yes. Yes, yeah. I love that. Yes. Yeah. And we have quite a following for our no sugar added chi- dry cherries and fruit cherry and nut energy snacks because it's difficult to find no sugar added products. Mm-hmm. Well, but I and like your cherry even, pecan caramel corn as well. Oh, you, oh she's, she's killing so that. She, she's almost finished with the bag. And Did you check on me? That's it. ridiculous. You're checking up on me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a question. It's an important yes. business-related question. What, what do you like from a seasonal standpoint? And, and let me, let me I'll, I'll come back to why I asked that in a little bit. We, we talk frequently several times a year with an organization called Melissa's, which, which is the country's largest distributor of fruits and vegetables. And we talked to them recently, and one of the products that was new for them to the U.S. market were cherries from Tasmania. Yeah. Yes. And I was wondering if there was any, any way that, that you could extend your season in, in, in order to be able to have Melissa's put it in their catalog of things you can buy. Well, we, what we do with our cherries is dehydrate them uh-huh. okay. so much and then finish them off so they're freshly dried throughout the year. Uh-huh. And what we do with our chocolate covered is we actually have an algorithm that looks at what is on order and what we sold that week of the previous year. And we manufacture to that with our chocolate. So everything goes out very, very fresh. And I know about Tasmania cherries because one of the PhD cherry gurus at at Washington State experiment station spent a year or two in Tasmania uh-huh. helping them grow cherries. Oh, okay. And so that's can how also that. get cherries from Chile. But right. what we have tried to do is be a local market channel for Northwest cherries. I right, see. right. Yeah, well, um, yeah, uh, uh, we were, of course, we have a cousin who lives in Tasmania, and we never heard oh. anything about, uh, we've never heard anything about their cherries. He grows organic avocados. Oh, and tamar- and okay. Well, I think a lot of places like Tasmania that grow one crop are looking at Diversifying, so that's sure. probably what right, happened. Right. Yeah, what well, last and time we were there, the they're, of... they're working on truffles, is what they're doing. Ooh, that would yeah, be good. Yeah, which is, is perfect in, in the sense of opposite seasons, so that you would have 
you know, when the truffles in Europe are, are off, you would have the truffles right. from, yeah. Anyway, That's if, interesting. If you, if, you, if, you want, if you want to talk to Melissa, the guy to talk to is Robert Schuler, S-C-H-L. Okay. And he's with Melissa's in Los Angeles. He's been there yes. forever. He's wonderful. Thank you. He's very good. Well, Chucker is the opposite of a Melissa's. Melissa's is a huge distribution fruits, fruit center or fruit yes. business, right? Yes. Yeah. Fruit, so they vegetables. Buy from, yes, and buy from all over the world. And Chucker is really a, um, well, we sell all over the U.S. and and even overseas because 80% of our business is direct to consumer through the Internet and through people calling in. We have a catalog that we put out. It's very extensive. I have a copy of it here, and it's, it's, very ex- extensive, and you you sell a lot of things besides um, just your, your cherries and chocolate covered cherries. Then you have pie filling, you have um, nuts, um, you have uh, raisins. You have you have. I'm just looking at all these products you have, and you do a big and corporate business as well, don't you? Yes, we do, and we also make almost everything we sell. So our caramel corn and our biscotti and our grain-free granola are oh, all made about in that. Our, Yeah, they're all made in our bakery. Oh, I never and, didn't know about them. Well, right. well, they're in the catalog, and I will just have to send you some. Oh. But you, you really have grown and diversified in this period of time. I mean, it's yes, wonderful to debut all this, but you've you've really uh, continued developing the business end of it. Well, what happens is uh, customers evolve it. We really um, make a point to uh, elicit information and feedback from our customers in a variety of ways, and then we. Um, including online and in surveys, but also we still have people that answer the phone. So our 800 number and, and how our customer service people are trained is very important. And they tell us what they want and like and don't like. So right. we are quick to eliminate if it's not selling. But even so, the foundation of everything we sell are the three cherries. And they either pair well with them, like we have two uh, wines, a Chardonnay and a red blend. Yes, that we make locally, and they pair well with our chocolates. If If we chocolate coat a nut, it's because it pairs well with our chocolate cherries. Um, so I kind of think of it as cherries and friends. <laughs> <laughs> there, you, there you go. 
Well, now I'm, I promised our listeners that you would explain the name of your company and this little bird to them. Okay, with pleasure. Uh, all those years ago, um, I was trying to develop Chucker Cherries on very little money. So I was trying to think of a name that um, would be easy to trademark but gave a sense of place. And our little town, Prosser, of all things, was the location for the National Chucker Trials. Oh, no. (laughs) And every year... In early March, the first two weeks of every March, trainers with these expensive bird dogs, they were the handlers, right? Yeah. Would just fly in to the Tri-Cities, drive to Prosser, get on horseback, and go up to the Horse Heaven Hills, up into the wheat fields. And they'd camp up there for two weeks and have these contests where they gave commands to their bird dogs and flushed out the birds. Oh, no, <laughs> and then they'd well. come back into town and give out trophies and celebrate. <laughs> and I just thought that was so great because you, you are travelers and you know wherever you go in the world, but there are these unique cultural things that people do. Yes. And it, so that's how, and Chucker Cherry sounds so great. And Chuckers are all surrounding us, though it's hard to see them. Uh huh. So that's how Chucker Cherries happened. And if you're interested in our product, you can call our 800 number at 1-800-624-9544 or go on to your computer and it's, our website is chucker.com. And chucker is spelled a way you wouldn't think it would be, but even if you misspell it, you will probably find us because we have a link for misspellings that leads you (laughs) to chucker.com. And it's C-H-U-K-A-R, chuckr.com. Well, Pam, you are a delight, and so are your products. And your, your backstory and the history of your company is sprawling and inspirational, I might add. So, um, oh, thank you. Yeah. So congratulations on your anniversary um, and, and your successful and enjoyable journey that you've just taken into this business world. And today's a, a, this month is a good month, isn't it? For women, yes, which is that International Women's Day, yes. And, 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 ne- and next time, International you your- Women's Day, and at the end of the month is uh, Cherry Blossom Time oh, in great. our capital, 
and throughout DC. And uh, yeah, cherries are a beautiful, beautiful exotic fruit that is not grown many places in the world and right. something that has a lot of enjoyment to life. Yes. So nice mm-hmm. talk, talking to you, by the way, and really nice to meet you both. Oh, I loved meeting you and meeting your company and your products and talking and next, chatting. Next, next time you take your children to the play, remember Chekhov. Chekhov? <laughs> Chekhov wrote okay. a play called The Cherry Orchard. Oh, yes, yes, Chekhov. <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Pam, it's wonderful. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. And you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. There's, you're going to learn things today, things you thought you didn't need to know, things you didn't know you didn't know. And I'll tell you, I've been startled. Um, our guests coming up are Liz and Paul Connell. And the company we're talking about is African Bronze. And I'll let you guess what that is. <laughs> I I had no idea until I started reading about it. It's honey. Who knew? Who knew, listen, Paul, that you could get bees to make honey in forests, in Africa, no less. Tell us a little bit about African bronze, its, its history, how you got started. What were you doing in Africa when you were there for eight years? Well, like a lot of people, we were losing money. Uh, <laughs> so the the project, uh, the original honey project, was started by a friend of ours, Dan Ball, about 30 years ago, and uh, he actually was born there. He's Canadian, but his parents were missionaries. He was born there, and he wanted to do something for the the place where he was born, where he grew up, and that is one of the remotest forests in Africa, and still is. It is the place where Stanley found Livingston after a 10-year search. Um, Where is it? It is northwest Zambia, which is the corner of Zambia, Angola, and the DRC. And if you know where that is, you probably know a lot about Africa. Uh Peter's Peter's a geographer (laughs) by training. Did you hear of it, Rabbit? It's at the source of the Zambezi River. It's okay. where the Zambezi River begins. So the Zambezi River begins there and starts south, and, and, then, the, and then it goes north too. And there must be a Nile there somewhere, right? Well, the, the, you're talking Victoria, just above Victoria Falls. Right. Oh, right. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm grateful to Peter and his geography. I can tell you I was a really good student, um, but the one thing that I actually cheated on a test was the geography because I had a clue what was going on. She's, she's well, I'll tell you, ge- still, a geography degree will not help you once you get into that forest. It is right. one of the most rugged, sure. remote. It's it's literally an area with no roads, no cell phones, trees, some people, and it is one of the most pristine areas still left on the planet. And the project was was founded. Um, to, in order to protect that forest, they decided that Dan decided they had to have a way to make an income that would protect the forest instead of cutting it down and using it as wood or charcoal. So that's where the beekeeping came in. And, and this honey that they produced is called honeydew honey, and it's only produced in a forest. And the honeydew is is a nectar that's created by ants and aphids and other insects, and they suck the juices out of a tree, and they produce a nectar, but it's super concentrated goodness, and the bees know that this nectar is very special, and they steal it from the other insects, (laughs) and they make this, it's it's absolutely true, the little thieves, and they produce this... (laughs) Well, I guess bees are maybe a little lazier than we thought, but uh, uh, or smarter, or smarter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm very fond of bees, and it's funny. Um, we've interviewed uh, beekeepers in uh, like the people responsible. Um, that actually, it's a woman responsible for um, a section of all the high-rise buildings in London. Um, and all they all have these beehives on the roofs and stuff, and uh, wow. and yeah, and I mean it was fascinating, and we learned all about the dances and so on. Except I recently read where it's pesticide is screwing up the the uh, the rhythm and so forth on the brains of these bees, so that they can't do their their dances properly. But I guess you're prob- you're dealing with a different problem because. Um, you, you, you don't, they don't have insecticides in this remote area, do they? No, there's no past, no pesticides. Uh, there's no agriculture within several hundred uh, miles. So the bees are eating, um, you know, they're gathering nectar and pollen from um, very clean trees and uh, flowering plants. And... It's, it's very healthy honey that results. There's also a lot of traditional medicine that's contained in, in these trees in Africa, and the, the people there know about traditional medicine, but now uh, we're just learning about some of the amazing properties of, of these trees and plants that exist in these forests. And so this honey contains a lot of other health properties that are still unknown, Although we've done laboratory analysis on some of the properties and of the forest honeys that we've tested against about uh, 25 other honeys from around the world, the forest honeys come out as the highest antioxidants of any honeys on the planet, including Manuka. Manuka. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable, actually. How did you, I mean, okay, this was a friend of yours. Is it Dan was a friend of yours? Yeah, I mean, Dan. What Dan did you do before you got involved with this project? Well, 
we have a varied background. We're both artists. Um, I'm an actor and a writer. I've been for many years. Liz is a painter and photographer. And then we, we, we got involved in schools and uh, a, a fish, a seafood company in Africa. And, oh, wow. a, and then a, quite a variety of other businesses there. And I think we were, what took us there originally was a recycling business. And then it kind of expanded. So we, I think what we tried to do, we were there for nearly 10 years. Mm-hmm. And what we tried to do is find solutions um, of, of things that were, not necessarily going wrong, but finding solutions to how to make sustainable incomes in Africa. And that eluded us. And Dan seemed to have found a way that, that people could actually create wealth themselves out of the resources that they had without changing their cultural practices. Mm-hmm. And so what all we do, what we do here, and we use our skills as, as good talkers and, and good writers and marketing marketing (laughs) and we tell people about the project and sell as much honey as possible and the simple reason is the more honey that's sold the more beekeepers and the more forest area will they protect now bear with me just a second i want i want to well i'll risk something controversial here but most of the countries that that are around where where you are operating were were at one point colonial empire colonial. places yeah. of, of, yeah. the, of mostly of the United Kingdom and and candidly were were a real mess and as they became independent they became even more of a mess now yeah how how, do, how does that that affect you trying to do something intelligent. So in Zambia is actually one of the uh, first countries to gain independence, if, if I have my um, political history correct. Um, but the, um, the, 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 it's a pretty stable country. And Tanzania as well. We work with a project in Tanzania. Um, so we we haven't found any issues uh we've had this question before um but there's there's no issues with um because with, with importing and exporting this honey because it meets all of the requirements and standards um in terms of bringing it into canada or the u.s um and it it it, it generates uh, foreign exchange for those countries so the you know peter the your question ab- ab- about that colonial practice is really uh, really important because what liz is talking about is is how there was this product sitting there that they didn't know they had this resource they just didn't know it was there and Dan and the other, both these projects that we work with, they both realized that the colonial impact over the years was destructive and that, oh, that sure, sure. aid and development aid and, you know, church projects, it's not all of it was bad, but most of it wasn't productive. It, it didn't sustain itself. Mm-hmm. So that's where Dan really dug in and said, you know, he came to us and he said, you're a business guy. What, what, what about business? How do we do business? Come on up and, and start a business. So then there's no development money. There's, if anybody walks away, it's still going on its own. So he really tried several different 
agricultural projects, different projects that, that might have worked. They didn't. And he found beekeeping as something that was culturally acceptable. The people had been doing this for thousands of years. Uh, and I will add that, that the, the people themselves did know what they have. They just didn't have a market yeah. for it. Yeah. So, uh -huh. you know, when you're living in a forest and, and making honey, all the other people around you are also making their own honey. So there's nobody to sell it to. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, when Dan started working with the beekeepers, that's what they asked him to do. They said, find us a market for our honey. So the, the, the crazy part of it is today, you know, that, that this all started, the, we're all business people. I mean, we're, we're a B Corp, a benefit corporation, so we're not like a typical business. Dan operates the same way, but we all put our own money in. We didn't take any donations or development money. We just put our own money in and started this and said, look, let's just make this a profitable business. Whether it, We're not going to get rich, obviously. We, it wasn't our plan. But the idea is we can make this sustainable so that it continues beyond us. It becomes a, a self, uh, a self, um, self-fulfilled prophecy of really development, uh, but all done through people's personal initiative. And I think that's what sets this apart from a lot of other projects: is that that it's from the beekeepers right to our our. our our customers, everybody's engaged with the idea of making this work and, and creating these, these opportunities in Africa and producing this fabulously healthy and delicious honey. Now, is, is there is it unique to Africa, or would you find the same resources in the Amazon? Well, we there was a project that got we got involved with the the, the scale was different, the, and we also have a project in Costa Rica that we're trying to work with some indigenous organizations. Hopefully, we, that we can get something off the ground. The scale is different. The, these projects in Africa are massive. You're talking about projects that involve tens of thousands of people, people and, and put millions of dollars back into some of the poorest, remotest areas in the continent. So this is possible in many places in the world. Um, it, but it's going it, to it's take... It's not easy. Response. I mean, we interviewed a woman who, who rescued salt from some desert in, in Africa. I can't remember where it was, but... Namibia. Where? Oh, Namibia yeah, Desert. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and but it, she, she struggles. I mean, she really struggles. Yeah, so it, it is, no, it is a, an issue in many, many places. And I think that one thing is we, we, we lost many, many times in trying to start businesses. So did Dan. And we found... Beekeeping, because it was culturally acceptable, it was something that the people did. All we really needed to do was help everybody do what they knew how to do already. And, and that's what Dan does. But our challenge is to get the people here in where we're uh, marketing this honey to understand that uh, even though it doesn't taste like regular agricultural honey that they're used to, that it is real honey and it is delicious. We call it honey for grown-ups. 
<laughs> okay. Well, now I mean, what what kind? I mean, it's it's very different in flavor profile for what people expect. But you yeah. you add things. What do you put into the honey? It it comes from a different source. Just to start with, of course, you already said that. That well, the, the, yes, absolutely. First of all, it tastes like honey. It tastes like honey used to be before we got all this agriculture. And the honey that we get today is it's very mild in flavor. Some of it is not really flavorful other than tasting sweet. Honey used to be a, a much more flavorful when it came from wild areas, which was everywhere in the world. And so this honey has a more robust flavor. Some people call it earthy or malty or or caramely or treacly or whiskey flavors. So it's got a lot of depth. And we the color ranges from uh, a light amber to a dark amber. And so those are colors of honey that we're not typically used to in North America. So we, we basically say this is craft honey. And if you think about it, the difference between a say a commercial and, beer and and not not the company not the, not, not the company if i if i can if i can inject something here for, for for you and for our listeners for that matter it, it seems to me that it's in some respects it's a lot like maple syrup well it's 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 similar i mean the 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 colors of honey um are related to the season when it's harvested so okay. In this area, there's a wet season and a dry season, and lately the dry season is is longer. So there's the lighter honeys come from the dry season, and then the dark honey comes from um, the rainy season. It's it's uh, more polyfloral, and it also has the higher content of honeydew. So you know, Peter, you mentioned when mentioning maple syrup. So honey and maple syrup both have terroir. The difference, I think, in Got maple it. syrup, and, and, and we, we come from a maple, we live in a maple syrup area. Yeah, you do, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we sure do. And we're waiting yeah. for the weather to change so we can start gathering. But yeah. they're both forest products. They're both natural products. They're both organic by nature. They're both regenerative by nature. They come from, from a natural process in forests, and they help protect and preserve those forests. I think... The, the significant difference is that honey in general, and even forest honey, has a much greater range of palate. So the, and that is strictly because the forests are so diverse. Got it. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, this, um, when you, you decided to add flavors, and, and so, you yeah. use local product to provide those flavors? So we have um, three varieties of honey that are where there's nothing added. It's just honey. Uh, We have a Jewel Bernardia, um, another one we call Miombo, and that's the type of forest that the honey comes from. And then the third one, the darkest one, is called Honeydew. Um, But then we created products with the honey. Uh, we have a cacao and honey, um, a cinnamon and honey, and a hot honey. So the hot honey is, is local. We use jalapeno peppers that are growing here in an organic uh, okay. family farm. And then the cacao comes from Tanzania, Tanzania. and it's organic and fair trade. 
And the cinnamon they, is they from Salon. They've got cow there. They do, yeah. Now, what, what, what I do is I spoon, I spoon it into yogurt on, on top of fruit and makes me for breakfast every day. So do I. I just add <laughs> granola to mine. Oh, I have granola. Yeah, there's, gr- there's granola in there sometimes as well. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to give you some, I wanted to mention something that's really totally ridiculous when talking about honey. But one one of our, one of our relatives who spent probably more time in Africa than than you and your wife have. Her whole entire career, she's been abandoned. Okay. And she was she was just appointed head of the Save the Rhino project. Okay. Oh, wow. So, yes, so, yeah. wow. So she she was appointed the head of the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that, Robert. So if you so, got her work cut out for her. So that's not. That's not in any way ridiculous or far off the topic, and I'll tell you why. In Africa, they are using honey bees and their hives as elephant fences. And the oh, reason yeah. is, is, yep, elephants are afraid of bees, bees <laughs> because the bees will fly up their trunk or in their ears oh, and, or no. in their eyes and sting them, and they're terrified of them. So they will put, uh, the women will often put these beehives around their house, around their little family garden or the village, or the village and t- in order to keep the elephants away. And wow. it is a way that people can live in these wilderness areas without having significant conflicts with wildlife. And that includes rhinos as well. It's, uh, yeah, well, rhinos it is, are dangerous. And almost, hippos are worse, but rhinos can be very dangerous, I know. You um, now, you, right. you mentioned something uh, which interests me. Are the beekeepers primarily women? It's a mix. Um, the, the, the beekeeping is a, traditionally a male activity mm-hmm. because it... it um, required climbing up the trees because that's where they normally pay, uh, put, um, put the hives. Uh-huh. Um, but when, women now do that too. And then using the beehives as a fence around the village also mm-hmm. makes it more inclusive. Now there, there's not the same um, colony collapse going on there, right? Not at all. Yeah, because there's, no yeah, there's no pesticides. The, the, they're also really important, um, and is that the bees? These are wild bees. They're not the the the. This really is. We call it. It's called beekeeping, but in reality, it's bee ranching. They put up empty hives up in the trees, and they wait for wild bees to create the hive. So they're not. They don't feed them. They don't put any pesticides. They actually just literally put a, 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 a hive up in the tree, wait for the bees to populate it, and then collect it once they produce an excess of honey. And what, yeah, when they collect it, they leave um, plenty behind for the new, um, right. you know, for the season, and um, the bees remain healthy that way. Well, that's not, this is all. A revelation to me. I never knew you did. It's just absolutely amazing to think that this this is going on in this world that we that we belong to. Yeah, we hear a lot of negative 
things out of Africa, and the reality is that the projects that Africans are running and, and implementing and, and they're producing some amazing products and amazing results too, using the, the resources and the traditions that they already have because their traditional knowledge is actually very, very rich in, mm-hmm. in food and medicine. And I think you know, that the, one of the big incentives behind this project is to basically amplify what they already know and, and help them with products, uh, with product marketing and sales. And as Liz mentioned earlier, the exporting, which is, you know, it's very complicated. And Yeah, so I was going to say, what happens at this point? I mean, I have the general gist of how somebody puts down this, thing this could become a beehive and blah 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 um and 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 they go around and they 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 steal um nectar from places too um now and then somebody actually gathers the honey right the beekeepers yes. yep. The yep. beekeepers yep. okay and yep. and then what happens well how does um, it get to be a product that's marketed so so the um the the group that we work with uh, in, in Zambia, that's he- le- le- um, headed up by our friend Dan, and they go out and they, they have a market day. And all the bee- beekeepers will come in and they'll bring all the honey that they've collected and they'll be, um, the buckets will be weighed, the, you know, the product, will, the honey will be um, evaluated for quality to make sure that it can be certified organic. And then they're paid uh, on the spot for the honey that they um, that they sell. And the you know the cool thing that happens on these market days, which are usually yeah. twice twice a year in, in 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 different areas, but the the people come in the hundreds and tom- sometimes in the thousands, and they get together. It's a cultural event, and the trucks that come into the forest, they drive in as far as they can into the forest. They will bring goods that the people have ordered from the season before, things that they can't get, like a a bicycle or tin for their roof or school books or uniforms for the kids for school. And they'll bring goods, and the people can actually pay for it out of the cash that they are paid on the spot for their honey. And some people, they order goods um, to run another business. Maybe they started a little shop. And, um, well, you know, I, I saw a similar kind of situation in um, a kind of uh, rural isn't quite the word for it, but um, yeah, of uh, um, Guatemala. Uh, yeah, and Guatemala. I mean, it, that, but mm-hmm. the thing that I still remember the most about the market day in, in Guatemala is that the men all then went into the, this one place and came out drunk and their wives had to take them out. Well, they, they, don't, they don't have a, a place to go in to do that, but sometimes they make beer with the honey. Right. That, that's left over. <laughs> and, and that's a big African tradition, that, uh, that, that's making honey beer. So, really? Uh, uh, honey has been around there a long time. It's a, yeah, it's a central ingredient. You know, one of the things that occurs at these, these days when, when they're selling and buying honey is all of the beekeepers are given um, 
classes, free training to upgrade the quality of the honey, upgrade the safety of what they're doing, the health standards. They're given, they're taught numeracy and literacy so that they can, that they're better able to engage in buying and selling and trading. It's, it's actually remarkable and they're, they're yeah. equipped for free. Uh, no, there's no cost or charge. Nobody's charged anything for this. It's considered to be just a cost of of getting a good quality product. And then yeah, well, I mean, we, it benefits the people dealing with the yeah. product. Yeah. And I was going to ask you yeah. how many how many companies like yours, um, uh, you know, are involved with this collecting of of the product and selling well, the product marketing. I I I don't think there's anyone like us. <laughs> In, uh, in North America, we are the, the only ones that work with these, with these two projects, uh, one in Zambia and one in Tanzania. They do also market their honey into Europe and have been doing that for um, um, many, many, many years. Decades. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but um, it's... Uh, I think what yeah. we're, we're trying to encourage others to do it. So our, our big task is to talk about you know, the, the potential for this great honey. Um, America imports most of its honey. And the, the really great part about African honey is that it is real honey. And one of the things that we've spent a great deal of time, as well as the projects, is doing analysis and testing that demonstrates that this is real honey. So we can identify the area that the honey comes from, even the pollen that's the, in it. The pollen. We know the names of the beekeepers. And one of the projects we're working on is to actually get the beekeepers to talk about their work, where they, their community, their village, and how they collect honey, what it means to them. So I think that this is a new, a new idea for a lot of people in, in food. Is they, they want to know where did it come from? Who made it? How was yeah, it well, made? Yeah, that, that's standard. But how, I mean, how, how do you um, get this? I mean, if you're a consumer and you want this, who do you sell to? Well, we, we sell to a number of independent uh, retailers, um, okay. fair trade stores, organic stores. We also have our website, and people can buy it online. We ship um, throughout North America. I think we've even shipped to Alaska. I don't uh-huh. think we've shipped to Hawaii yet, but they've got pretty good honey there themselves. They do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> they do. So, um, so anybody who wants it, if, if it's not an institution or a, or a big business or retail or something, they could go online with your, um, your website and, and order yep. it, or do you do on that yeah. level? The yep. best way is africanbronzehoney.com, and we will have a special discount for anyone that mentions on the menu in, uh, <laughs> in the email to, that, to us. How's that? Yeah. That sounds like uh, a good deal. <laughs> if, if people are interested in, in purchasing, purchasing wholesale, that we also have a, a page where people can sign up for wholesale. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think Chef should know, chefs ought to know about this now that restaurants are bouncing back. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, this has been a real revelation, which I knew it was going to be because I knew so little to start with. <laughs> but I, I thank you, too, um, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it's listeners Liz and Paul Connell and- at Connell. Connell. 
Uh, I'm Liz Connell. This is uh, my partner's Paul Whitney. But I don't mind being called Connell. I'm good with that. <laughs> what What's his name? So I get it right. Paul Whitney. How do you spell that? W H I T N E Y. Like Whitney Houston. Okay, like the Whitney Museum. Okay, That's yeah. Right. I mean, your publicist yeah. or whoever I was dealing with didn't mention that, but. Anyhow, um, okay, and, and um, the company is the most important thing here, uh, listeners, and it's African Bronze. And uh, African it's a real bronze. thrill to know the, the background of this product. And, uh, yeah, and Peter particularly has been enjoying it enormously uh, with his, his morning, with his breakfast and, and his uh, cereal. So um, thank you. <laughs> And thank you for doing what you're doing. And hopefully well, you'll you. discover other communities around the globe that, that need to have um, their honey market established for them and rescued. I love bees, so I'm really I'm looking out for the bees here too. Good. Well, thanks for taking the time to, to get into some of these stories because it's, it's just a fascinating project and we've, we've had the most amazing 10 years and hope to have another 10 years and watch this grow. Um, and I just, I think we want to say that, you know, we've been looking at some of your, your, your past on the menus. I would say you two have had a pretty diverse uh, and interesting okay. ride in the food world. <laughs> Yeah, we have. Yeah, this is our 20th year with this podcast. Wow. We're still wow. amazing. We can't, we've leaders been, uh, in the podcast world. Yeah. We, we, can't, we, can't keep, we can't keep up with our, with our cousin's daughter. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds, it sounds like if you're, you if were you're pod- interested in, If you're interested in making contact, she's Josephine, known as Joe. Her last name is Shaw, S-H-A-W. Yeah. Let's uh, save the rain. Let's save the rain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> great. Great. She's yeah, she's brilliant. She's really wonderful. So, all right, okay. you two have a good rest of the day, and continued success. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thanks. Thanks to you too. Both. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.